Okay, so here's the question, Dave. What is the art of Python? What is the art of Python? Let me tell you about the art of Python. An artist of Python speaks. Yes. Are you a programmer, William? I indeed am say? a programmer. I program things. Would you say that you are a dramatic artiste? Oh, the most dramatic artiste. Yes, I know. You can't hide it. Yeah, I'm, I'm base salting <laughs> right now. <laughs> Those warm-ups. <laughs> I mean, we do a lot of artist warm-ups for, for this very podcast, indeed. Yeah, it's true. Well, I guess you you guys don't know the warm ups, but maybe we could uh, we could help you with some warm ups if you want to do a submission for the Art of Python, which is going to be a little mini conference inside of the much larger PyCon US conference, which is a fantastic conference. It is probably the greatest conference I've been to, second to PyCon Italia twenty eighteen, of course. Uh, Python Italia was just this is a cozy, nice time, like good people. But PyCon US uh, has a little bit of something for everybody. You know, PyCon US has, of course, the talks, the big name talks, has the tutorials, all the good big name tutorials and little name tutorials, big people and little people together. It also has like tracks for open spaces, which is something that we really love. So then how does the art of Python tie into the rest of the conference? Is it like a workshop that you can go to on one of the tracks? Programming is something that people are very passionate about. And one of the ways people express their passion is through art and music and plays. And I think one of the, one of the things that uh, is great about programming is you know, sharing your, your wonder and joy of the thing. And so the purpose of this is for people to kind of get excited about programming and be creative outside of the normal outlets of, you know, talks and tutorials and whatnot. So there's a call for proposals for all of your creative outlets. So if you want to like put together a skit or a video or a like a watercolor or something relating to Python. This is what you do? <laughs> exactly. I, I love the idea of a watercolor or like a, <laughs> a, a neural net generated ode to Python. Just put William Shakespeare and like the docs for Python together and see what happens. I don't know. Do something crazy. But yeah, Call for Proposals is open and ending 20th of February. And they're, they're also doing uh, proposals, I think, for Bang Bang Con in New York which is a little bit closer to home, also for cool, exciting talks and uh, creative stuff. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Let's see those submissions. Yeah. And, oh my God, is, is that Zach? Get out of here, Zach. Zach, Stop. Zach, what are you doing? <laughs> is that some kind of a flashcard, Zach? What are you trying to communicate to us? Oh, it's, oh, it's an event? Oh, it's a meetup? Oh, wow. Another New York City tech debates. I'm so hyped. I cannot wait. These yeah. things are great. Yeah, these are pretty great. So this uh, next one is on making sure you're building the right thing. And they're going to have folks from Code Academy and Blackboard, both pretty awesome companies. As usual, it's going to start around 6.30. going to have some pizza and beverages. Light refreshments. Light refreshments. And then we'll have a debate. There will be one winner. <laughs> and two yeah, speakers enter one speaker leaves 
classic roles. Yeah, and it's going to be in a new venue this time. It's going to be at Microsoft offices, so that should be exciting. Oh, yeah, they have a wonderful space. It's very nice, yeah. So, yeah, I highly recommend it. Check it out. We'll see you guys there. Hello, and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the definitive developer's podcast in fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. I'm your host, Dave Anderson. Our regular host, Michael Nunez, is off being a dad. Babies. Being a dad. Being a daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Our co-host today, I guess. William Jeffries. Good to be here. Producer extraordinaire. Today we'll be talking about salaries and negotiation, or as I like to call it, more salaries. Just more salaries, like more books, our greatest titled episode. <laughs> well, we needed to update because the other one is the other, the old salaries episode is stale. Yeah. Things have changed. It's a fast yeah. moving market. <laughs> Luckily, to help us guide us through this topic, uh, we have our illustrious guest, Steve Thompson. How are you doing, Steve? Great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Why don't you tell uh, the lovely people a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a technology recruiter for MDI Group. We are part of a larger organization called Motion Recruitment, and we have offices that span across the U.S. from coast to coast. So, you know, we really just focus in IT and uh, help people either get into, uh, you know, consulting roles or, you know, permanent uh, new positions. Cool. Yeah. So... Yeah, we were wondering if you had any dirt for us. Like, where are we at in 2019? Where, like, how much money can I make? Yeah, give us the goss here. A gifted developer. Like, what? <laughs> what's up? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think the best thing is, uh, you know, every year just more and more. It's <laughs> great. I want double. Double. <laughs> Exponential growth. Oh yeah, <laughs> hockey stick. <laughs> Classic startup. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? What should we, like, how much should I be making? What should I ask for? <laughs> it depends. Um, you know, I would say uh, anyone with, you know, a, a strong... I want double. Double that. Double that. <laughs> in time. Sorry, no, in go time. Ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, uh, you know, it's an easy industry and space to, to make a, a six-figure salary. So, but yeah, double and double. <laughs> so let's say that you are fresh out of university or fresh out of a boot camp. You don't have any professional development experience. What does the market command right now in, let's say, New York City? Sure. In New York, I would say anywhere from probably 70,000, you know, maybe upwards, kind of high 90s. It really, I think, depends on the company's, you know, ability to take in college hires if they have structure around that. You know, versus if you're just kind of going out and, and finding a place that's going to give you a shot. What if you're a career changer? You're like in your 30s, 40s, 50s, and you know you are you go to a boot camp or you teach yourself. Are you going to be expecting the same kind of salary? Does it matter? Yeah, I don't think it matters too too much. There's a lot of companies that are moving away from having such a strong focus on you know traditional four year degrees. So. You know, I think if you are a career changer and you come out of a boot camp, you can expect to be on par um, or at least close with someone coming out of a, you know, a pretty middle of the road, I guess, uh, computer science program and really not have to take a dip in that respect. So, okay. So it sounds like you can definitely get 70. You might get 80 or even 90 high 90s fresh out of a boot camp, depending on industry. How long is it going to take you to find a job at 70? And if you needed the job like this week, how low would you go? That's a great question. I think that 
you know, you can find a job as fast as you want if you are willing to go lower than market and probably lower than what you should expect. Everybody has a need for software developers and I think it's easy to maybe be taken advantage of in, in some aspects. But, you know, if you are coming out of a boot camp or, you know, a college program, you know, the best thing you can do is leverage the networking resources that are kind of built into those. So, you know, it can take a couple months if you're really just trying to respond to job postings and go through some of, I think, the more inefficient uh, job searching routes. Or I think you can be into a new role in, uh, you know, a month or, or five to six weeks if you're, you know, aggressive from the start of your search to actually getting in the door. Okay. So let's say you're asking for 50000 You can fly off the shelf? Potentially. Yeah. <laughs> I think you do have to have some semblance of skills. Otherwise, it may be uh, more harm than good to, you know, to bring you in the door. But yeah, I think that, again, you know, if time is of the essence you know, you stand a better chance of, of securing a job a little bit faster. But I, I don't think it's necessary in the current environment. You know, large companies are putting a renewed focus on, you know, training junior talent and ramping them up because it is so difficult to find senior level engineers and bring them into your organization without, you know, much of a, a ramp up time. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an interesting thought too, about like putting a price tag on yourself, but really that's not how the interview process works uh, for better or for worse. Like it, you don't really have a price tag on your resume, which is an interesting idea. I guess there, there kind of is like sometimes a little bit of upfront discussion, but yeah, like you often, you don't have a concrete offer until they've already evaluated your skills and you've gone through the whole interview process, which as I'm sure is uh, similar elsewhere, like even uh, where you're in Phoenix, like, you know, full day job interviews and whiteboarding and code tests. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's not too different across major tech hubs. You know, there's a little bit of a, a drop in kind of average salary starting out. You know, certainly when you get outside the New York or, or San Francisco kind of major tech hubs, but you know, the, the salaries I think are still pretty strong. You know, a typical entry level develop here, developer here may be looking something closer to fifty five to sixty thousand. I think what's encouraging that we see is those individuals have a great potential to really ramp up on on compensation quickly. You know, you may be coming in the door a little bit lower than what you had originally hoped, but we quite often see engineers, you know, get six months down the road with the client and you know, have an opportunity to get a substantial increase once they've really delivered value and shown that that they have the skills that are are really going to be a long term fit for the organization. All right, so so we've talked about people who are just starting out. What about like a mid level developer? Well, first of all, when people say when you see a job posting from mid level developer, what does that mean to you in terms of years of experience or whatever? whatever metric you're yeah, using. No, it's a great question. It's, it's not always clear. I think, you know, you may have had experiences where someone who's been a developer for, you know, five to 10 years may not be up to the skill level of someone who has had an extremely intensive, you know, three to four years of experience. You know, whether that's in a consulting organization or, you know, in, in a tenured development group where they have, you know, great mentorship So generally evaluate seniority level, I think more so on 
level of responsibility? You know, how do they interact with the team? Are they participating in code reviews and taking on mentees? You know, are they taking on lead tasks? And I think as you, you know, move more mid-level and more senior, that's where some of those responsibilities start to come in that I think ultimately shape you for some sort of leadership or management role. And, and that's, I think, a, a little bit better of a of a gauge in terms of, you know, seniority. Okay. How much should you ask for as a mid-level developer? What what should we expect? I think at minimum, probably 100000 It's pretty, like I had mentioned before, there's there's a ramp up to, you know, that level that, that can happen pretty quickly. You know, in more competitive markets, you know, you can easily get closer to, you know, 125000 130000 But uh, I think in some of those areas, you may also start looking for, you know, non-base salary pieces. So, you know, maybe a larger bonus package, potentially some equity at that point. It, it just depends. Where you have like that level of responsibility for now. So now you have a stake in the business more than, you know, them trying to level you up. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So what about the creme of the creme, like the the real rock star developers <laughs> and 10Xers? Oh, yeah. The, the ones that uh, are seemingly harder and harder to find these days. Right. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I apologize for so many cliches. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. And it's interesting in, in recruiting, you know, we always try to find the best, you know, candidate for the role. And so oftentimes we're, you know, really searching for top level talent for, for some of the more senior kind of principal level positions. I think that's also an area where you can run into two situations where you've either are starting to hit a ceiling. If you're not really specializing in something that's a little more niche, you may start kind of hitting a, a salary ceiling where you're kind of approaching you know, management salaries. If you're at really recognizable Fortune 500 company, I think they're generally better about keeping the financial incentive there for really the the highest performing engineers but you know we generally see really senior level talent you know in a major market anywhere between 130 to 150,000 and and it can go up from there really if you get to the point where you're kind of acting as an independent consultant or you're you know being brought in on a temporary basis to turn projects around that's where it can get extremely lucrative so much higher risk Sort of positioning, but higher reward, I suppose, as well. Yeah, absolutely. And really comes down to what stage of life you're in. If you're more interested in those kinds of engagements or, you know, if you have a family to support and need, you know, some more stability or, you know, maybe work-life balance is what's most important to you. So I think that's a big driver as to why there's quite a bit of variation at, you know, the senior end of the, the spectrum. Hmm. Do you feel like there's like a real need to specialize in order to reach the upper tiers of salary? Or can one be like a generalist and still reach some heights? Yeah, I think that it depends on which direction you want to take your, your career. You know, specializing, I think when you're looking at changing organizations can really, you know, help you stand out from the crowd. And you know, you have to kind of think about it in that supply demand scenario where, you know, maybe a, a client has a specific budget that they've spent set for a position, 
But if their options are extremely limited and you are coming in the door, you know, extremely qualified and you're solving problems that have, you know, much greater financial impact, then, you know, you, you can really, you know, maximize your salary there. If you want to be more generalist, I don't think that would prevent you from maximizing, but I, I think you may have to take it more so in a leadership direction or, or maybe kind of solutions architecture somewhere where you're using that really diverse set of experiences and and framework, you know, in language knowledge to where you're really making some of those key decisions for the organization. And so like, what is the highest paying company out there right now? And what are they paying? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. Probably companies in the transportation space are huge right now. There's a ton of uh, competition in uh, racing to develop uh, autonomous vehicle technology. So, you know, rideshare companies are... Especially out where you are, right? Like in Phoenix. like Oh, yeah. It's huge in Phoenix. We see test vehicles here and it's quickly coming. I think it's right around the corner. But as that race has intensified, you know, there's there's been just a huge influx of compensation in that space to really get the, the you know, top level talent that you need to, you know, come out ahead in that kind of crowded field. So, you know, there are engineers there that are, you know, bringing in between $300,000 a year. And, and it's broken up between a lot of times, you know, salary, equity, and, a, you know, large benefit packages. But, you know, certainly really lucrative in that space. Sure. Yeah. Those machine learning guys, I think I read an article about some of the highest paid machine learning was like close to a million dollars, if not over a million dollars a year. Well, so are these machine learning engineers or web developers or like infrastructure developers? Like what kinds of engineers are involved in those projects? Sure. Well, yeah, I think it, it bridges the spectrum. I mean, it's, you know, it's web developers. It's are the web developers the ones making the three hundred thou? In some instances, yes. All right, moving to Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those are I think more so centered in you know typical Silicon Valley areas, but uh, you know we do have operations in testing here in Phoenix. But yeah, you know the AI machine learning aspects of it, I you could only speculate. It's. Uh, I think you had had averted to earlier, um, very uh, kind of astronomical where where those numbers can approach. (laughs) Right. That's the hockey stick right there. (laughs) So what about like startups versus blue chip companies and everything in between? How does that affect things? Yeah, I think it plays a huge part in, you know, what your expectations are from a compensation standpoint. You know, startup companies are sometimes, you know, strapped for cash or sometimes like all the time overflowing with VC funding, right? No? Well, you know, it certainly at, at different stages you can have an influx of funding, but I think that, you know, the the common perception is that equity may be a larger, you know, portion of compensation for those roles. And really, you know, that has the potential to increase long-term earnings, you know, multiple times over a, a salary. So, you know, for some people, the the risk is worth the the chance of a payout that they may never approach. And, 
working for a blue chip company. Okay, so now with that we know how much we could get, how do we uh, actually negotiate the position to actually get it? I think that's like really the hardest thing is uh, actually asking for it. I think you write it down on a piece of paper and you slide it across the table dramatically. That's how that works, right? <laughs> and then you drop the mic. <laughs> you have a mic and you drop it. And that's how it's done. <laughs> no, um, I think negotiating is something that uh, is difficult for everybody. Unless you have tons of experience negotiating salaries, it's really a point where I think it's difficult to really get started with it. And it's also easy to let emotional attachment to an opportunity get in the way of the negotiating portion of, of the whole, you know, interview and, and onboarding process. Yeah, it feels very intense. Like, and it, it's not a muscle that you get to flex every day. Like once you get a job, you're negotiating on a daily basis, or maybe you should be negotiating more often when you have a job, but you know. double my salary every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's pretty rare that we ask for raises in our current environments. You know, the stresses of, of everyday work and our priorities, I think, make it easy to not put a lot of focus on that. And sometimes the the first avenue when you're feeling like you need to be making more in your current role is to start looking outside. And I and I think that's good. It's good to have a, a pulse on the market, but there are opportunities to improve your salary in your current role as well. You know, whether it be kind of a, a predetermined annual increment based on anniversary or maybe a specific time in the year that a performance review comes up, you know, there's opportunities to discuss raises there kind of beyond the the standard cost of living adjustment. Or, you know, when you're looking for new opportunities, setting the market salary is kind of your baseline. But then, you know, looking at these specific organizations that you're targeting, maybe industry and, you know, some kind of specialized skill areas that you bring to the table that you could use as leverage to, you know, increase your, your salary. Cool. So I, I imagine like a factor like, you know, these regions that we're talking about, like having that information on hand is really important. Like where what's a good resource to like gather this information as you're like kind of going into a discussion, like to know if you are under market or where, where you stand? Sure. You can, I recommend going to websites that both kind of aggregate salaries. So PESA is a good website to look at salaries in aggregate, but then also look at some reported numbers for specific companies and specific locations. I think we're all familiar with Glassdoor. You know, that's a good option as well. I think one that could be a little more heavily utilized is reaching out to staffing and recruitment agencies and having a conversation about the clients that they serve and the salaries that they are seeing, you know, being offered on a, on a daily basis. If you find a good recruiter that can really give you some insight, maybe look at your specific resume, talk to you about your background and give you some information about, you know, what they feel you could, could get even down to specific clients or levels of positions. I think that can add a lot of value as well. So trying to approach it from 
various angles can give you a pretty good understanding of, you know, a minimum and, and kind of a maximum goal that you want to set. Cool. Yeah, I never looked at Pesa before. I This is a pretty uh, snappy website. I'm definitely going to check that out. So once you've kind of done this general homework, we, we talked a little bit about org sizes before. Like, how does that affect like your negotiation technique? Sure. In org size, I think the main thing that you have to think about is when you're working for larger, more mature companies, it's more likely that finance and human resources have established you know, some standardization and, and pay structures. So you're generally working within salary bands uh, with kind of a, a target salary defined within that. So while there is a level of flexibility, you have to be aware that there is going to be an upper limit that, you know, despite how much they like you, they're going to eventually reach a point where they say, we would love to have you on the team, but we we just can't offer you anything more. And I, I think that also kind of leads into a, a apprehension that a lot of people have, which is, if I ask for more money, am I putting my offer at risk? And I think, you know, in, in an overwhelming majority of cases, you're not. It takes an incredible amount of effort within an organization to get someone engaged through the interview process into the point where they want to make an offer, you know, they understand that people are just trying to make sure that they are not leaving money on the table. And if they are truly excited about having you on board, if you approach it with a little bit of finesse and professionalism, it can actually be, you know, a fairly straightforward kind of objective conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. That's pretty challenging, but uh, yeah, just, I guess being, Frank and like acknowledging that the challenge of the discussion could probably go a long way there. Yeah, like for org size and salary bands, I know someone who uh, is pretty high up in HR and they had some great advice for me when I was trying to pull apart this puzzle, uh, which was to consider like, you know, the other side of the negotiating table where like if you are working within a salary band, not only do they have to consider. Uh, your current salary that you're asking for, but they also have to consider where you might be in a year or two years and like what your your growth is going to be. So I thought that was a, a good perspective to have, like to to keep in mind that it's not a fixed point in time and you can keep flexing that negotiation and have some room to grow in there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hiring managers are interested in retaining talent. You know, that's one of the biggest focuses that they have is you know, once you've established, you know, strong core team members, keeping them engaged and, and keeping them happy. So that's a great point. There are, you know, intentions of making it feasible for you to have, you know, salary growth, you know, potentially within the same band, you know, throughout time with the company. And so I think there's also opportunity to, you know, have a bit more direct conversation about, overall growth opportunities with the company. If you're getting the sense that you're coming in uh, on the high end of pay for a position, maybe trying to prime the conversation towards, you know, a, a three to five year outlook. You know, do you see wanting to take someone from this group and help them progress and promote and, you know, either move into leadership or, you know, some sort of principal or architectural level 
position and you know is is that a way to achieve the you know salary growth over time yeah another thought i had was actually some advice that i think william gave me yeah like when oh, don't I, listen to anything i say oh i i'm curious what <laughs> what steve thinks about this <laughs> so i remember you you had an advice for me which was to have a very specific number in mind to do your homework and know exactly why you're asking for that number and not say i want 120 K or I want a hundred K or whatever. I, like I want 121,242 and 39 cents. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's very effective. And people are like, Oh, there's like a reason for behind that number. <laughs> and then you can tell them Well, So, you know, here's the deal. I went through and I did my budgeting and, you know, I have a mortgage and I have a, you know, a wife and kids or whatever your expenses are. And, you know, I worked out the numbers and, and this is what I need in order to make it all work. Like this is, if you give me this number, then I'll be happy and I'll do amazing work for you. Then when people agree to that number or, or push back on that number, it, it feels like it's based in something meaningful. It's not just like, oh, I throw out a number and then you have to throw out a number that is lower so that we can meet in the middle. Right. It's like, well, I guess my kids won't go to college now, <laughs> but that's fine. <laughs> I really like your company. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that when you steep it in some reality there, it certainly, from an emotional aspect, makes it more difficult to push back on on salary. One thing that, you know, it's, I think, smart to have that number in your head. And there's certainly a time to get to the point where you disclose that. And that can come later on in the process. I think a trap that a lot of candidates fall into it may just even be out of courtesy is kind of giving away too much information about salary at the onset of, of having a discussion about a, a, a job opportunity. If you are in a position where you feel like you're underpaid, you know, being careful not to let that current compensation be a negative influence on what companies offer you. At the end of the day, people are yeah. trying to maximize profits and, you know, control costs where they can. So it's great to have that kind of substantial backup and reasoning justification as to why you're asking for something very specific. But yeah, I think it's also important to focus on going into conversations, looking to see what the company is valuing the position at and what they're prepared to pay. So it may be uncomfortable to you know, not disclose salary when someone asks you point blank and, and maybe even a couple times. But I, I think that's changing. Obviously, in, in New York, you can't ask that pointed question anymore. Yeah, I was going to say, if anyone in, is listening in New York and asks you that question, you'd be like, no. Yeah, also, if you're an law. interviewer, don't ask people how much they made in their previous position if you're in New York City, because it's illegal. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and I think it'll continue to be that way, you know, in more and more places. Companies are... I think more sensitive to closing pay gaps and and creating a, a more level playing field. So, you know, now's the time to kind of use that to your advantage and you know, you certainly want to make sure that you're not wasting your time with interviewing for a position that you know maybe they really aren't going to be able to pay you anything near what you're expecting. So, I think that's okay, you know, if you're asking what they're budget is for the role or, you know, if they had a, a target salary in mind, you know, you can you can handle it a couple different ways to where you can at least 
let them know that you're in the ballpark and that it's, you know, a good use of time to, to move forward in the process. Yeah. Cool. I think having a BATNA is a really useful technique, a best alternative to a negotiated agreement, like knowing in your head, if you cannot reach an agreement, if this negotiation is going to end in a stalemate, what is your best alternative? Because if your best alternative is another offer that's like, you know, $10,000 less than what you started out with, you're in a pretty strong negotiating position. Whereas if your best alternative to a negotiated agreement is that you're going to continue to be on the job hunt and it's been three months and you haven't found anything and you're running out of runway, like that's a very different situation to be in. And just deciding like, okay, well, if this doesn't end well, then I'm going to give myself another month and then I'm going to take 30000 less than I was my floor previously. Knowing in your head that that's the plan, I think is really liberating. Yeah, I would agree. Mm. I think that, uh, you know, going into every conversation that you have with that game plan in mind is really going to ensure that you're making the best decision with the information that you have at, at that given moment in steering, kind of looking at the negotiation process as kind of a culmination of a series of, of maybe less significant steps towards, you know, working towards that final goal. Yeah. But, you know, just an, another conversation. So nothing like you guys, you were saying before, it's okay to ask for, for more. It's okay to ask for what you want. You just need to like do your homework and feel justified in it. Steven, it was so helpful having this conversation with you. I feel like I have a lot more knowledge about the breadth of salary range that's out there and how to negotiate to get what I want a little better. Consider yourselves updated for 2019. <laughs> so, Steve, you got anything to plug? Yes, we've got a tech meetup coming up. It's Tech in Motion out at the Ainsworth at 64 Third Avenue. Oh, I used to live right by there. On uh, That's on 3rd and 11th in the East Village, right? Yeah, I'll take your word for it. But yeah, it's uh, right in that area. So, it is uh, Spread the Tech. It's basically demos and drinks. Some of our cohorts at... Uh, motion uh, up in new york city will be out there cool it's thursday february 28th uh, february the 22nd 28th cool february yeah. 28th and they they have an Ainsworth right across the street from rebel studio oh they, man they, rebel they, studios they, nice <laughs> they got a great uh burger and whiskey special on Wednesday mm-hmm. nights. so and is this sponsored like are there free drinks and food and stuff yeah absolutely oh man this is uh, this sounds like a winner. <laughs> cool. So uh, how do people get in touch with you? Because I, I guess you won't be in New York for the event, unfortunately. But unfortunately, not. Yeah. Uh, best way to reach me is on LinkedIn. So it's just Steve Thompson one. But uh, if you just search Steve Thompson MDI Group, you can find me. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and our amazing host, Michael Nunez, who's out being a dad, and me, your host, Dave Anderson, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole. Rabbit Hole.